Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. You guys excited about this weather today? Because it's going to change tomorrow, right? Man, am I, uh, I don't know if it was the seven toddlers that I spent three hours watching over last night at Parents Night Out or the allergies or whatever. So I'm a little stopped up. But man, listen, if you uh, were a volunteer here last night at our Parents Night Out, man, I want to thank you so much. If you invited people to come, man, we're so, I just, I want to thank you for that. Um, like I said, we, uh, I guess, work with my wife, which is, is, which is interesting because being a pastor for basically our whole marriage, we never get to do church together ever. Um, cause like I'm always doing stuff up here. She's doing whatever. So we got to serve in the same room last night, which is pretty cool with these seven toddlers. And, and here's the cool thing. Three of those families were brand new to River Club Church. And, and that, that was, that's the whole point. I mean, we want this time. We're going to do this again. Uh, you know, we're trying to maybe do quarterly parents night outs. And listen, it's for our church, but most importantly, it's for our community. And what's so cool is this, is that we live, we live out this mission of striving to be a church where all people can experience life in Jesus. And part of what that means we have to do is we have to learn how to serve and we have to learn how to break down walls and barriers that people might have about the church. And things like Parents Night Out is a great way for us to do that. So if you were a part of that, if you invited somebody to come, I want to thank you for that because that is making a difference, not just in the lives of our people here at our church, but it's making a difference in our community. And that's what God has called us to do. Hey, if you're a first time guest or you're new here today, I just want to welcome you as well. Welcome to our house, man. We feel like we, um, this is kind of our, my second home. And so when you come here, I want you to feel, uh, I a welcome guest. And so um, part of what we do every single week is we look at the Bible and we look at what God has to say and, and the truth of God. And, and we try to look at the reality of life and we want to intersect those two things together in a practical and powerful way. And so we're in this series called Choose Joy. It's a series that really focuses around this one big idea. And the big idea is this, is that joy is not just a possibility, but joy is also a promise. And it's not just a possibility, it's a promise that Jesus has told us in John chapter 15. He says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. That Jesus wants us to know that joy is a promise. That if we will put our faith, our trust, and our lives in his hands and his plans, we can experience joy no matter what. But the reality is this, is while Jesus wants the best for us, we have a spiritual enemy. And that spiritual enemy, the Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, he's known by different things throughout scripture. His, his mission is the opposite. Jesus says this in John 10 verse 10. He says that the thief, the spiritual enemy, his purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says that he has come his purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. So where Jesus makes a promise, the enemy wants to steal away that promise. Where Jesus promises joy, the enemy wants to steal away our joy. The enemy wants to, to kill the joy in our life. He wants to destroy the hope that we have. And, and, and so we, we need to understand that while Jesus has made all these promises, there's a spiritual battle going on for all of us. That's part of the reason why life is so difficult. And there's a great book by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is most widely known for the Chronicles of Narnia and all those books. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. 
And in this, the book called The Screwtape Letters, it, it involves a conversation between two demons, two um, workers for the enemy, right? And, and what you have is you have Screwtape, who's the older, wiser, more experienced demon. And he's writing to Wormwood, this younger, uh, this younger demon, and he's trying to mentor him in how he can help the mission of the enemy. And that mission is really two. First one is this is that the enemy wants to keep you and keep me from ever putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Because the enemy knows that if we do that, then we've won. That Jesus has won that battle for our life. The second thing though is this, is that once we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the enemy wants to keep us from experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus has promised us. And so one of the things that C.S. Lewis does in this fictitious work of these letters written back and forth is he, he begins to explain some of the different strategies the enemy uses to distract us, to, to keep us from the promises of God. And, and there's one quote uh, that I wanted to read this morning to kind of talk about what I, wanna, what I believe God wants us to really look at today, and it's this. This is a, a screw tape writing. It says, what we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in a state of mind that I call Christianity and. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian coloring. He says, okay, listen, if our goal is this, as spiritual enemies, that we want to keep people from becoming Christians. But if they do, then we want to distort and confuse their Christianity. That we want to create in them this mindset of Christianity and, of Jesus and. That we want to get their focus away from the centrality of Jesus and what he brings to life. And we want to confuse that by adding different things. It's kind of like a recipe. I don't do a lot of cooking, um, but occasionally I can do a Taco Tuesday, Right? And I have to follow the directions, but everything we cook, there, there's a recipe, there's a set of directions on there. Now, there's many ways I've learned to mess up a recipe, but two uh, that I want to talk about is this. One way is this, is that you can mess up a recipe by leaving out the right ingredients. So say you leave out salt, ruins the recipe. You leave out sugar, can ruin the recipe. You leave out, you know, flour, can ruin the recipe. If you, you can ruin a recipe by leaving out the right ingredient. And so part of what the enemy wants to do is he wants to convince us to leave out Jesus from our life. That in the recipe that God has given to us, that life is found in Jesus. The enemy says, well, I want you to leave out faith in Jesus. And it destroys the recipe. But the other strategy, the other way we can ruin a recipe isn't by leaving out an ingredient. It's by adding the wrong ingredient to the recipe, right? I've told this story before, and my mom's okay for me telling this, but this is like, this is kind of our family joke about my mom and her cooking is, is this, is that when we were growing up, we were about, you know, being expeditious and frugal. So my mom would get big pounds of ground beef and she would make taco meat on Monday. And then on Monday, we would have like tacos. We didn't have Taco Tuesday back then. It was Taco Monday. And we'd have tacos on Monday. We'd have taco salad on Tuesday. We'd have burritos on Thursday. And it was kind of like, you know, we'd kind of just use the same thing throughout the week because we were busy. There were three kids and all that kind of stuff. Well, one day we sit down on a Monday to eat. And if you've heard me tell the story, just, you know, bear with me. But we sit down to eat and, and, and we, we start eating and, and something's wrong. Like something's not right. But being respectful kids who love their mom, you know, we're kind of like looking at each other like, should we say anything? Well, then finally dad says something. And when dad says something, it makes it okay for everybody to address it, right? And so my dad's like, 
something's different, right? And my mom gets this big smile on her face and she says, yeah. And he's like, well, what's different? She goes, well, I accidentally put cinnamon in the ground beef instead of chili powder, right? Cinnamon is the wrong ingredient for tacos, okay? And by adding the wrong ingredient, it messed up the recipe. And so what the enemy wants to do in our life is he wants to keep in certain, certain ingredients away from our life. But the thing we want to talk about today is this, is that the enemy wants to add certain ingredients to how we understand faith and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to mess up the recipe of what Jesus says is best for our life. Now, we're in this series called Choosing Joy, and we've been walking through this letter of Philippians, a letter that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament wrote to this church in a town called Philippi. Paul's writing this letter from prison, and one of the main themes he's trying to get them to understand and embrace is that, that, this, that joy is, is a promise, that, that they need to choose joy in all circumstances. And so if you have your um, note sheet, pull it out, uh, pull out your Bible if you want to follow along with that. But today we're going to look at a fee, or Philippians chapter 3. And I want to talk to you about what Paul is saying uh, in, on the same idea of, of being careful that we fully understand the right recipe for faith. Here's what he says. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. He says, listen, whatever happens. Now, kind of coming off what we talked about last week, we ended with Paul saying, if I get out of prison, I want to come visit you. But if I die in prison because of my faith, then whatever happens, choose joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Be joyful people. He says, I, I never get tired of telling you stuff like that because I want you to safeguard your faith. He says, I want you to understand the right things so that you, you safeguard, you protect your faith. Well, what does he want to safeguard their faith from? Well, let's look at verse two. It says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Now, if you were here last week, you know, we, we mentioned circumcision. Now, two weeks in a row, right? We talked about circumcision, all right? And so what circumcision was, it was an outward way for the Jewish people to symbolically show that they were given to God, that they put their faith and their trust in God. It was an outward way of expressing in this inward commitment. What was happening, though, was that in, in early Christianity, people were putting their faith and trust in Jesus. They were following the message of Jesus. But there were these Jewish Christians that they were called Judaizers. They came with a message that said, Jesus plus circumcision. That if you want to follow Jesus, you want to really be a Christian, be in a relationship with God, you've got to not just believe in Jesus, but you have to be circumcised. And they expanded that even further to say you have to follow the Old Testament Jewish law. And so what was happening was this, is Paul was saying, listen, I want to tell you what's right because I want you to watch out. Because there are people around you who are going to tell you that you need Jesus plus something else to truly be saved. To truly be forgiven of your sins. And so here, here's what he goes on to say. He says in verse three, but we put no confidence in human effort, meaning our confidence isn't based in what we can do. These outward acts. He says, though I have confidence, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have more. He says, listen, we don't put confidence in our works, our ability to save ourselves, our ability to make God love us. He says, but if we did, I'm, I'm the best. 
And he begins to put off and kind of write down his spiritual pedigree. Now, it doesn't mean as much to us today, but it meant a lot in that day and time. And here's what he says, verse five. He says, I was circumcised on, when I was eight days old. So he says, from the very beginning of my life, I followed the things that God said to do. He said, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm God's part of God's chosen people. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, which were like the ruling class, the, the, the religious leadership class in the Jewish faith in the day of Jesus, who demand the strictest obedience to the law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul says, if you want to put confidence in being a good person, if you want to put confidence in following God's commands, he said, I'm the guy you want to be like. That everything in my life has been about being a good Jewish person. Everything in my life has been about trying to be the best person I can be. To, the, to, to, to this, that, that Paul actually persecuted the first followers of Jesus because he felt like they were speaking out against his Jewish faith. And it wasn't until Paul had a revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus that he realized that Jesus was the truth he was looking for the whole time. But Paul says, listen, if you want to trust in your own righteousness, if you want to trust in your own religiousness, he said, nobody can compare to me. But here's what he says, verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through the obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul says, watch out for those people that say, you need something besides Jesus to be loved by God. Watch out for people that say that it's Jesus plus something else to really have faith and to be saved. He said, I consider all of the works that I was able to do as garbage compared to what Jesus Christ has done. And he says, the motivation then is this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Verse 10. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, if you want to choose joy, you want to experience joy, you want to find what you're looking for in this life, then you got to understand that it's found solely in Jesus. And this is the big idea. So write this down if you're taking notes. That joy springs, joy springs from a hope that is placed solely in Jesus. That true joy comes, springs in our life from a hope that is placed solely in Jesus. See, there's, there's, there's two ways that, that we can view faith in Jesus. There's two ways we can view a relationship with God. And, and the one that is going to lead us to joy is the one that views the message of Jesus in the right way. And there's two ways I want to talk to you about for a few minutes. The first one is this. It's what I call the message of religion. The message of religion so many times is this. 
is that Jesus plus something equals everything. That Jesus plus something equals everything. Now, what's everything? Everything is what you're hoping for if you're seeking God. It's purpose. It's peace. It's joy. It's salvation. It's forgiveness of your sin. It's having a life that, that, that makes sense. It's having a, a future that you can trust in. It's wanting to go spend eternity in heaven with God one day. It's wanting to have great relationships on this earth. It's, it's everything that we're going after. And religion says that to find everything that you want, to find all the promises of God, it's about Jesus plus something else. It's about Jesus plus you know, good works. It's about Jesus plus circumcision as the, the Judaizers were talking about in Paul's time. And, and the something can, can be varied, but it's when we take something else and we add that to Jesus and that's how we view a relationship with God. But see, here's the thing. A relationship with Jesus is different than religion. Religion says this. It's about what you can do to get God to love you. It's about what you can do to get God to forgive your sin. Religion begins with our own efforts and it's the some things that we need to do. See, sometimes for, for people, it's, it's, it's Jesus plus being baptized. And if you're not baptized, there's no way you can be saved. It's, so for some, it's Jesus and not watching certain rated movies. For others, it's Jesus and not drinking alcohol. For some, it's Jesus and where you put your kids in school. For some, it's Jesus and making sure you have to read the Bible every day. For some, it's Jesus and and singing a certain type of music in a church service or dressing a certain way. It it becomes moralism and this worship of morality over Jesus. It becomes legalistic where it takes all these little different things, these different ideas that are good things and it makes them the the, the main thing. It pairs them with Jesus and says that if your somethings aren't right, then you can't find everything because it's Jesus plus something. But the gospel, which basically means the good news of Jesus, this other way to view faith, says something different. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus says, not Jesus plus something, but Jesus plus nothing. That if you want to find everything, if you want to find purpose, if you want to find value, if you want to find joy, then it's found solely in Jesus. That it's Jesus plus nothing. Look what Paul said back in Philippians 3, 79. He said, I once thought these things were valuable. What are the things? All the somethings. All the somethings that religious people were supposed to do. All the the somethings, the good things that they made the most important things. He says, I once thought all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. He goes on to say, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. See, the message of Jesus is a message of grace. And grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor on your life. Grace is not about what you do. Grace is about what Jesus has done. 
Paul talks about it this way in a different letter, Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9. He says, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And when he talks about being saved, he talks about having your sins forgiven, being brought back into a relationship with God. It's about having a, a hope in what is to come and this, this security that when this life ends, I'm going to spend forever with Jesus in a place called heaven. They says that, listen, all of that is through grace. That by accepting what God wants to give us in grace, that's how we have it. He says it's a gift of God. You know, I was reading in my uh, devotional this morning and I wrote this down because grace is, is something that we talk about a lot, but I think man, we, we don't fully, I, I wrestle with it. We, I, we don't fully understand the weight of it because grace is not fair. Grace is not justified through our life. Grace is not earned. Grace is scandalous. And here's what it says, this this quote by Paul Tripp. It says, this means, talking about grace, that faith isn't something you can work up inside yourself. So even the ability to have faith begins with what Jesus has done in our life, what Jesus makes, makes possible in our life. It says, faith comes to you as God's gift of grace. Not only is your salvation a gift from God, but the faith to embrace it is his gift as well. But here's what we need to understand. God not only gives you the grace to believe for your salvation, but he also works to enable you to live by faith. That grace, Jesus plus nothing else, not only is what brings us to the point of being saved from our sins, but that's what gives us the power to live our lives for him. It's all about grace. And when we put something with Jesus, we miss the message and the good news of who he is. And I think there's three dangers that that, that happen in our life when we live a Jesus plus something faith. The first one is this, is if you live Jesus plus something, then you're going to have the temptation to become prideful. And pride comes in our life when we feel good or superior compared with other people. So here's how it works. Pride comes in our faith in Jesus when we say that the something that I'm putting my faith and trust in, when I do that something, I'm better at that than somebody else. So if I feel like I'm better at being consistent in reading my Bible, and that's my, that's my other something, then if somebody struggles with that, I'm looking down on them because I'm better. If it means, and so, so we, we define our somethings by what we tend to be good at, right? We say, okay, well, it's Jesus plus not watching rated R movies. So if I don't watch a rated R movie, I'm feeling good about myself, but everybody else that does, you're sinners. And you need to be like me. It could be whatever the something is. But if we're not careful, putting too much focus on the something in our life can lead us to being prideful. And when you're full of pride, you don't often realize you need Jesus. See, Jesus spoke more critically about the religious leaders in his day than he ever did to a sinful person. 
Jesus got trashed for hanging out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and thieves and all these people. And while he spoke truth to them, his harshest criticism were for the religious people. Because the Pharisees in Jesus' day, the religious people in Jesus' day, had elevated all these somethings to be required to be loved by God. And Jesus said, you focus so much on these somethings, but you neglect what's most important. And because of the pride they had at what they were good at doing in being a religious church person, that pride led them to judge other people. See, we will never understand God's grace and love for somebody else until we understand our need for his grace and love. Because if we're the bar, then anybody who's not like us is lesser than us. But see, Jesus says the bar is him. And nobody can reach that bar. So one of the things we've got to watch out for is this pride that develops in church people. And this arrogance that can happen in our our faith and how we present ourselves and what we say is most important and how we speak to people that disagree with us. And then the second thing that can happen, though, is the opposite. Is for some, that Jesus plus something faith leads to pride. For others, it leads to despair. And despair happens when we don't feel like we're good enough compared to other people. Have you ever felt like you weren't good enough for God? Like you heard the pastor say, Jesus loves you, and you said, but I'm not sure he's talking to me. Have you ever, maybe as a, as a, you're a Christian, you're like, Zach, I know I'm a follower of Jesus. I know I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure God cares about me right now. I'm not sure God really loves me right now. I don't feel like I'm good enough for God right now. I know he's accepted me because he has to, but does he really love me? See, despair comes when we put all these somethings next to Jesus and we're not good at the somethings. And we feel like all those somethings and our inability to keep them perfectly means that God doesn't care about us as much as he really does. And see, what happens is that when we feel despair, we feel ashamed, we feel embarrassment, we feel depressed about that, it doesn't drive us closer to God. What does it do? It drives us away from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, the very first sin in the Bible, and they recognized that sin and God came to find them, what did they do? Did they run to God and say, God, I know you still love me? No, they ran and they hid. That despair caused them to push away from God. And for some people, that pushing away from God is more like a pushing away from the church. And they won't give church a try, be part of a church, because they felt like and they were told that they weren't good enough because their somethings weren't as good as the other people's somethings. Paul in Romans chapter 7, 
says this, he, and kind of paraphrase it, he, he says, you know, the, the things that I really want to do, the things I want to do to please God, the things I want to do to follow God, the things I want to do to be obedient to God, he says, I find myself struggling to do those things. And then the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And, and look, look at his response. His response is this, is, oh, what a miserable person I am. He says, I, I, he says I'm, not, I'm not who I need to be in Jesus. And where does he, what does he feel? He feels depressed. He feels in despair. He doesn't feel good enough. He feels like, he's like, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm a miserable person. But then look at his question. He said, who will free me from this life? He said, who's going to get me out of this? What's going to help me to realize and recognize that, that my somethings don't define my life? They don't define my relationship with God through Jesus. He says, praise be to God. He says, Jesus. Because Jesus plus nothing is how we are going to find our everything. And so it can lead to pride. It can lead to despair. But here's the third thing it can lead to is this. It can lead to confusion. I think one of the ways the enemy wants to distract you and keep you and keep me from experiencing the fullness of, of who God really is and what he has for our life and where we can truly find joy and hope and understand God's love is that he wants to confuse us. He wants for us to put the somethings in the place of Jesus. But here's the thing, because I know where some of you guys are right now. You're thinking, I don't know about that. Because aren't we supposed to do good works? I mean, Zach, we're supposed to live differently, right? We're not supposed to just, you know, take Jesus and then just go sin and all that kind of stuff. And, and this is where the confusion comes in. Because good works... Our righteousness, our purity, our holiness, those things are important. But it all comes down to kind of the chicken or the egg, which comes first. I'll write this down. That our good works are the result of our true faith, not the requirement for our faith in Jesus. Our good works, they're the result of the fact that God loves us, not the requirement for God to love us. See, if you're trying to do the good works to get God to love you, you're confused. Because God loved you before you ever did anything that would remotely please him. And see, if your faith and God's acceptance of you is based upon how good your somethings are, then when your somethings aren't so good anymore, guess what you're going to believe? That God doesn't love you anymore. That God's not there for you anymore. Listen, if you could determine God's love for you, then you can lose God's love for you. But you can't determine God's love for you. That means you can't lose God's love for you. At your best day, you deserve nothing from God, but you get 100% of his love. At your worst day, he still loves you the same way. That's grace. That's the message of Jesus. 
See, so often we take our earthly relationships, which, which don't live out grace perfectly. And we say that, well, Zach, people treat me and I do things so I can get people to treat me the right way. But God doesn't work like that. Your marriage may work like that. Where you feel like you've got to do the right thing so your wife is going to respond in a loving way to you. And so you look at God and you say, God, if I do the right things, then God, you're going to love me. And God says, I loved you before you ever did anything right. And what happens is, is that as followers of Jesus, we put so much stock on the somethings that we struggle to understand that God loves us and that we need God's grace in every area of our life. And then we believe that other people are too broken and too sinful and too scarred for God to truly love. Listen, if there's a person in this world who is not good enough to walk through those doors of River Club Church to be loved and accepted, then we have a pride issue. If there's somebody who's not welcome to come to our church because there's something, is something we don't like, we've got a problem, not them. Because that's not the gospel. And when pride is in our heart, we view other people as less. When really we are the ones who have the problem. No matter where you are today, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, God loves you. He's accepted you. Students, listen, you may feel like none of the people at school get who you are. You may feel like your parents, they don't understand you. That they're always riding you. They're always saying, you need to be more like this person. You need to be more like that person. And you feel like you've got to earn their love. You don't have to earn God's love. You don't. He loves you freely. And he will love you continuously for eternity. And joy comes when we understand that. So here's my question this morning. Is your life based on that? Is Jesus plus nothing the source of your hope? Are you trying to earn God's love by your good works? Are you trying to keep God loving you by being the good person you feel like you need to be? Or are you living your life in his ways, doing the good things he's called you to do because he loves you. If you get the two confused, if I get the two confused, if we put something next to Jesus, we're never going to fully understand his message of love. And we're going to be very, very poor at how we communicate that message to the world around us. So what's your something today? What is that thing you've tacked on to Jesus? What's that thing you're trusting in? Listen, I think we all struggle with our somethings. I gotta be honest with you, man, this week's been tough for me. And part of it's been because I recognize there's some somethings that I put in next to Jesus that are defining me in my eyes. As a pastor, it's so easy to think, you know what, it's Jesus plus a growing church. Is Jesus plus a great sermon. It's Jesus plus, 
you this? Is Jesus plus that? And if that something's not working, then it's easy to fall into despair. What's your something? This morning, will you lay down that something and embrace Jesus plus nothing else? And then once that's your foundation, it changes our lives. You pray with me. Father God, I come to you in this moment thanking you that you are a God who loves me and loves every single one of us, God, simply because you do. God, you loved us before we did anything that would remotely in our minds say we were justified to be loved. And God, there's nothing that we can do that will change your love for who we are. God, do you want better for us? Do you want us to make better decisions at times? Do you want us to have the right focus at times? You do. It's because you love us. Do you correct us at times? Yeah, you do. But you do it because you love us so much. And so God, this morning, I pray that during this song, Guys, we come back around and we just sing the song we sang at the very beginning of this message that Jesus, your name, the powerful name of Jesus, that whatever we're holding on to besides Jesus, that we would lay it down. If we need to come to the front and just create this holy space here and spend time praying to you, God, will we do that? If we want to light a candle, a white candle that represents a need or a need that you've met or a red candle that says, Jesus, I'm putting my faith and trust in you for the very first time today. I want to become a Christian. If we write prayers on the prayer fence and we want to leave those on the sides for people to pray for, God. Whatever it is, have your way in this time. Remind us that Jesus is enough. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond to him.